Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Tennessee. 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 We're uh, we're gonna get right into it today because there's just so much going on, so much to talk about. This is obviously the Holler Hour, 2 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Thank you to everybody who joined us last night for the TNDP Chairs Race Forum. That seemed to go really, really well, and we have another one tonight. Join us tonight for night two. 7 p.m. Central Time to hear from the rest of the candidates in that race. That went really well. Shout out to Drew for running a great show. Uh, also, follow all the hollers throughout the state. Thank you all for your support. Can't stress enough how much it helps. TNHoller.com is where you can go to subscribe and support and follow all the hollers. Speaking of all the hollers, just to talk about one thing that just happened today, we're going to be talking about Slattery's ridiculous Slattery, Slattery, who cares? His ridiculous decision <laughs> to uh, join in this absurd lawsuit attacking mm-hmm. the fundamental democracy in our country. But I just want to shout out the Nuga Holler for a victory that they just had exposing this guy. His name is John McCulley, who had to resign from the civil advisory board chair at the sheriff's office. He was on Facebook making all kinds of disgusting comments. He called Kamala Harris a whore who sucked her way to the top. And today he resigned from the board because of what the Nuga holler did. But it turns out that wasn't the only comment he made. He was also saying things like Mexican word of the day, Nissan, when Kamala Harris started in politics, mm. she burned her knees on the carpet. Oh, he God. made fun of Asians. Where's the cat talking about that garbage Asian stereotype? He That's also sad. said black privilege is the ability to break every law in the country and still remain the victim. So the real question here is why did Mayor Jim Coppinger allow this guy who appointed this guy, reappointed this guy, allow this guy to be on there so long? He's no longer on there. He had to step down. Shout out to the Nuga holler. for shining a light on this garbage. And it's, again, another reason why we need to have these regional hollers, which happen because of your support. So thank you. What would you think about that, Cassie? Yeah. I mean, as you said, it only happened because he was shamed. And it's, it's, you know, that's, that is like the definition of systemic racism. The fact that he kept getting, you know, appointed again and again and again, he was able to stay in that position, even though this behavior is extremely clear that he's like, you know, that he's a racist guy. And that, that again, that's the definition of systemic racism. And thanks to, you know, the Nuga holler, if, yeah. if he hadn't been shamed, this is why, this is why public you know, like outing these stories, breaking these stories and like having your eyes on things that are happening in communities. That's the only way that these things are ever going to change. It's the only way. Yeah. As if we call them out. And so, yeah, I just, I'm really grateful to our Nuga Holler for for breaking that story. I am too. And I also want to say that the Nuga Holler got that story from a person on the ground in Chattanooga who messaged it to them. And that has been the best part of having these regional haulers. And the holler in general is you guys sending us stories when you see them. We don't have the resources to have reporters everywhere. 
Right. You are our reporters. You are the holler. We say it all the time. It's the truth. And this is an instance where we were happy to have the Chattanooga holler, the Nuga holler, and the Tennessee holler to lift up that story, show people where it was, the shame followed, and now he's gone. So yeah. you should all feel really good about the role that you as the holler has really played in that. Another story like that that I want to get to before Alex Little shows up to join us to talk about Slatery's garbage decision to join this lawsuit. This was in uh, <clears throat> Tullahoma. Tullahoma was having a meeting to decide if they want to have a diversity council as part <laughs> of their government. Rupa Blackwell, who is an alderman there, she is spearheading, but not the only one spearheading this effort to have a diversity council in Tullahoma. And a few people showed up to speak out in favor of it. Others spoke out against it. And then one person that spoke out against it was state Senator Janice Bowling, who is somebody that we feature <laughs> quite often here on the holler. And I just wanted to walk through what she had to say. It was this rambling mess about <laughs> race and nonsense. Uh, and we're going to break it down for you right here. Let's listen to Janice Bowling speaking out against a diversity council in Tullahoma. And here was the garbage that came out of her mouth. I'm here not as the acting speaker of the Tennessee State Senate, which some might consider because of my I mean, first of all, she leads off with some people might consider that I'm a state senator because of my white privilege. Like nobody is saying that outright. She is just like making it about her. She's and exactly talking about white privilege as like, you know, this this attack on her. Nobody said that. However, we should point out that of all the people in the Tennessee state supermajority, Senate and House of Representatives, there are no black people at all. So that's just something worth pointing out. Which is kind of humorous since I was raised uh, on the wrong side of the tracks. When I heard that there was being considered a diversity council, I laughed. This is a joke, right? What's the punchline? Why is, like, I, I don't understand. I mean, I do completely understand, but, you know, why do they feel the word diversity is such an attack on them? Yeah. Why are they so against diversity? You know, it's and yeah. It's uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's because like, it's like, it's only really white people that are against that. And it's right. like, and so, and it, I mean, it's, it's because they don't like, you know, it's, it's, it goes back to that old phrase, like, you know, it, like gaining more equity, more equality. Um, you know, if you already zero have sum. the status quo, yeah, yeah, it's not zero sum, but, but they think that it is. And so it's like, if you are holding the status quo, then equity and equality start to feel like oppression when right. you have, when you start exactly. to have those They want to feel like the victims and the oppressed ones here. That's the whole game. Right. And, and, but the, the, the thing that she's about to go into here, and this is sort of what they tend to do is they talk about how colorblind they are. We don't see color. We don't see diversity. <laughs> so lie. like, so like, you know, it's their way of putting down any effort to pointedly address yeah. the injustices that have gone on in this country. Yeah. And, you know, so basically they were fine. You know, we saw color in this country for 400 years when there was slavery and Jim Crow laws, but now they want to not see color you know, they, but, but no, to redress these things and to actually fix some, not obviously even remotely close to all, but some of what has gone on, you have to see color and yeah. appreciate 
color and not erase color. Not seeing color is erasure. We're not saying exactly. black people don't want you to not see color. They want you to see color and love them equally anyway. And that is the mistake that the Janice Bowlings of the world make, as you'll see right here. She's going to go on this yeah. whole diatribe here that we'll walk through about how she doesn't see color, but that is not the point. Yeah, they've, they've turned it into a redirect. Right, exactly. Tell her that Elected its first woman of color. I said, Who was it? I didn't consider Rupa a woman of color. I considered a Rupa. You know who considers Rupa a woman of color? Rupa. She's not, you know, embarrassed to be a woman of color. That's not something to like erase. Like, she's a woman of color. Like, she considers herself that. The audacity of Janice Bowling to say something like that, too. Right. Like, Like, again, if you you decide she's not a woman of color, And, 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 and it's erasure. And like, so because you don't consider her a woman of color, that makes her She's not a woman B- of color. She's That's B- white supremacy. White supremacy yeah. is like my opinion about whether or not she's a woman of color is all that matters here. Therefore, exactly. she's not a woman of color. That's white supremacy. White supremacy doesn't have to be you wearing a, a hood to a burning cross rally, Janice. Sometimes white supremacy is you deciding your opinion matters more than anybody else's. Yeah, it's 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 the same thing that we see over and over and over again where it's like whatever white people say goes, it's like we like you know dictating the way that these conversations should go and like telling other people how they should feel about their own identities. Absolutely. Uh let's keep going. My mother Okay, so this is a story about her. I'm gonna just gonna tee this up. This is a story about how her mother a long time ago when she first had a baby. So I, I'm not saying I'm not ageist here, but I'm assuming this was a while ago, came and visited and her son had a black PE teacher. And that is somehow relevant here. I have no idea. How. <laughs> Our youngest child was born. She was talking to my son. She said, Temple, that was really a nice PE program. And your PE teacher is black. She was being gracious. He looked at her and he said, well, actually he's like brown. He had no idea what she was talking. Again, this idea that like if you just don't acknowledge that peop that black people exist, like that's somehow <laughs> helpful to the situation. Like I love how they know. like they yeah, like they don't listen. Like it's like again, right. it's like them saying what they want to say to like, you know, maintain white supremacy, even though they don't always realize that's what they're doing. Um, but it's it's they they don't listen to black people to people of color in terms of like how how at least like the majority of the consensus like wants to be treated in this sense right. they just are saying whatever they want to say so that they feel comfortable with themselves and justify their thoughts like Absolutely. they're not they don't do any listening when it comes to these subjects at no all no listening that's very well said and this comes on the heels of rupa and uh, uh, two other b- people of black people in Tullahoma saying we would like a diversity council and here is Janice being like, right. no, I'm against that. And I'm not listening to you. And oh, by the way, my son didn't realize his PE teacher was black 35, 40 years ago. Like, what are you talking Congrats. about? Yeah. That? Like, like, so you, you think it's a, what it's some sort mean? of feat or accomplishment that your son didn't know that black people, like, first of all, it's not true. Like nobody yeah. buys that you don't see race. That is just not even, it's not even honest. No, it's completely dishonest. And yeah. I cry to this day when I think of Mrs. Lund. She did she cry? And now she's talking about a woman who, who 
was run over by, I mean, I'm just beside myself here. She's talking about <laughs> apparently a black woman who was run over by a car and uh, died and that she misses. And apparently this is some sort of an argument against a diversity council because she cared enough to like feel pain when a black woman died a long time. Like, what are you on about, Janet? That is the lowest of bars. She ran behind to get sick and the car went over. And by the way, like, I'm sure this woman that she's invoking here would really appreciate her invoking her death to speak ill about a diversity council. Like, I'm sure that that woman would really appreciate that she's using her memory to right. speak out against a Tullahoma, moving Tullahoma forward. Like, that's not some sort of dishonor of this woman's memory. I don't know this woman. I'm not claiming to speak for her either, but I'd be willing to bet she wouldn't appreciate this. And she's going to go on and do something even worse right here, which is absolutely mind-boggling. She's been to black people's funerals, y'all. Like, oh so God. she, we don't need a diversity council because Janice went to black people's funerals. I was honored to sleep. Okay, this now is where we're getting into like the most unbelievable part. And is Alex with us? He's with us. All right, we're going to get to Alex in one second here. I won't do this the whole time, but she goes on to talk, and we just need to see this, and then we'll cut it off. But she goes on to talk about, I was honored to speak at Eugene London's funeral. She's talking about Manchester Mayor Lonnie Norman, who died of COVID three weeks ago. His name is not Eugene London. That's what you need to know as she, again, invokes right. Lonnie Norman's memory to yeah. resist the idea of a diversity council. And Eugene London's funeral you know, just yeah. a few weeks ago. Eugene, and if you say his name right now, his you name's don't not have Eugene. a smile on your face. Oh, because yeah. everybody loved Eugene and he loved everybody. He was a part of our county mayor. She doesn't even know who he is. The Old Testament. Oh, and then she goes in there where the Old Testament course, divided us and the New Testament brings us together. You can just tell she's never talked to anybody about this. Or if she has, she didn't listen. Like right. never. Like right. anybody that's any any sort of, you know, any black person, any person of color, like she, she just has she she knows all of the answers. She knows like, all the answers. And then just as this last thing, she talks about a lesbian who came into her office. Oh. She spoke to a lesbian. And I've had a lesbian that came into my office, adamant that I should accept. Oh, congratulations. I didn't walk into a room and say, hello, I'm Jane. I don't understand how this, anyway, I don't understand how this is in any way I should recreate. I should recreate this situation. Argument against diversity council. Like, Janice Bowling is exactly why Tullahoma needs a diversity council. That's what I'd like to say. <laughs> That's anyway, so true. Let's bring in Alex Little here. Alex, how are you, sir? Thank hey, you yeah, for good. joining us. Really appreciate you being here today. Yeah, totally. I think most people, we can hear you great. You look great. You look like you're in a movie. Like, yes. I, whatever you're doing is working. It's a cool spot. Let's yeah. just set up why we're talking to you today. We're talking to you because Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who is under investigation by the FBI and also under indictment for securities fraud, has asked the Supreme Court to overturn the election. Trump says it's the big one, which apparently the Kraken <laughs> wasn't the big one. Trump says this one is the big one. And it is being led by a birther lawyer who is Trump's newest lawyer who said that Kamala Harris wasn't born in the country. And then to top it off, uh, Attorney General Slattery, Slattery or Slattery, you'll tell us what that is, has signed Tennessee onto the lawsuit. Alex, I guess our first question would be, <laughs> how nervous should we be? that this is going to succeed. 
there's no chance this is going to succeed. You should not be nervous at all. I mean, at best, we're going to waste some trees printing that out, but that's that's the worst outcome that's going to happen here. What did you think when you saw that Herb Slatery signed Tennessee onto this? Were you surprised? And like, what yeah. was your reaction? Look, I mean, there's a, a question, I guess, among Republicans is like, how far do you take your crazy? And I think he decided to take the crazy to 11, you know? Um, and it, it's just a shame because Tennessee, we've got plenty of crazies, but we have a few less crazy folks. And I think most people thought the AG was somewhere between the two. Um, but I think this is seen as a loyalty test. And for whatever reason, he decided to go full on crack and crazy. I mean, that seems to be exactly what this is. Like oh, this yeah. is, this is a loyalty test. This is full on crack and crazy. What exactly is the process here? You know, like what is an Amici suit? What what did they, yeah, what did yeah. they so, do? Yeah, let me kind of give you the, the, the ballpark of what's happening legally. So under the Constitution, there is a way that states can sue one another. And that the, the U.S. Supreme Court has original jurisdiction to hear that lawsuit. So courts generally have either original jurisdiction where cases kind of start, they arise, or appellate jurisdiction where they hear an appeal of a lower court. The U.S. Supreme Court is unique in that it hears both original jurisdiction cases and appellate jurisdiction cases. On the original appeals, it's we have a case in Tennessee that's been going on for years that is in the U.S. Supreme Court or has been with Georgia over water rights kind of at our border near Chattanooga. And that's the sort of thing the Supreme Court resolves between states. Like where is the border between Colorado and, you know, Idaho, where is, I hope they share a border, you know, where is, um, you know, who has the water rights to this river system? That's kind of what the Supreme Court has recognized its original jurisdiction to be. Um, but here you have this, you know, state Texas saying, oh no, we want to sue these four states that are swing states that all went for um, Biden. And we want to sue them because we think they got it wrong. And that's, you know, it's never been done. It's, it's not even close to, um, meeting any of the standards the Supreme Court would normally consider. So I don't think legally you need to worry about it actually doing anything. It is another one of these sort of acts of just obedience to the president. So, I mean, would you call it un-American? Well, uh, or, I mean, or is yeah, the I mean, process look, of, it, you know, the argument would be, well, they're filing the lawsuit. That's part of the process. You know, we're just exploring our options here. Yeah. You know, how would you characterize this? How do you think history will characterize it? I well, guess you know, that would I, I tell my clients, anybody can sue you for anything at any time, whether or not they have a real case or not. That doesn't mean that people should be able to do that. And it doesn't mean it's not harmful. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if anybody knows anything about sovereign citizens, when I was a prosecutor, you, you would have to deal with them. They'd come in and they'd fight sort of the whole legitimacy of the court, right? They would you know, completely say, you know, they have no jurisdiction over me. I'm my own citizen, you know, I'm sovereign. And they would just gum up these legal systems. And nothing about that was like consistent with, you know, at all what we consider regular judicial process. What's happening now is very, very similar. It is a group of lawyers, generally very bad lawyers. These are not folks who have, you know, distinguished legal careers right. who are throwing right. stuff at courts that courts generally aren't prepared to respond to. You know, a, a mm. federal judge, is used to seeing good lawsuits written by good lawyers based on actual evidence. There may be disputes about what the evidence is. This stuff is just batshit, right? I mean, it's not even in the realm of like reasonable. There's literally two paragraphs in this brief to the US Supreme Court on behalf of actual states of our country that say, well, hey, if you stopped counting at 3 a.m. in the morning, Wednesday morning, 
there was a one in quadrillion chance that Biden would win. Right. I saw that. Haley McEnany was on TV talking about that. So, so I can actually answer answer what they were talking about here. They were talking about that if the voting population had precisely the same. So, so basically what they're saying is if everything was the same as last time, then he would win. Then there's no chance Biden would win. Well, what does that no, even it's mean? Even more crazy because it doesn't acknowledge that like people had already voted. We just hadn't counted mm-hmm. their votes. Right. So it's like if we count all the if we just count all the Trump votes, we don't count anybody else's votes. Well, there's a <laughs> one you know one in a billion chance Biden will win. Well, no, yeah, yeah, that's of what course. That's unbelievable. So, yeah, but that's something that our attorney general wanted to support. Like the Tennessee attorney general has now gone on and said, this lawsuit, Supreme Court, you should, you should like actually hear. It's insane. And, six, like, and 16 other AGs too. And, oh. and I wonder, like I, there, I was reading about the connection. I mean, Slatery is a member of the Federalist Society. Like, do you know any more about that connection about how a lot of, I think it's like the majority of the people of these AGs are members yeah. of the Federalist Society. I, and I, mean, I don't think we just, even need a conspiracy with federal yeah. society. No, no, no. It's like, general, just explain right? the connection, I guess. Like, yeah. So basically there's an association of Republican attorney generals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most of like, a, there's an association of governors or an association of secretaries of state. They all get together and have conferences. There's generally one for all 50 states. And then both parties have their own and the Republican attorney generals, just like the Republican party in the last 15 years have become incredibly um, partisan and much less judicious, right? They mm-hmm. don't necessarily see their role as actually being fair arbiters of the AG's powers. Right, they they're see political pursuing actors. this agenda, right? Um, and Ken Paxton is by far the best example. One of the things I should point right. out, not only is he under federal investigation, he's under corruption investigation because his own office members, fellow Republicans, blew the whistle on him. Right, so, right. That's, that's the thing that people are pointing to now basically saying that this is right. his play for a pardon, which certainly oh, doesn't yeah. give attorney general Slatery uh, an excuse. And the rest oh, of these guys that are throwing, essentially throwing their lot in with a criminal here. Uh, a couple of Republicans have spoken out. Jeb Bush said, thank you. There's no legal theory in the conservative majority rejected out of hand. Mitt Romney called it madness. Yep. Uh, ben Sass said, it looks like a fella begging for a pardon filed a PR stunt rather than a lawsuit. So that seems to be the general consensus here is that this guy Paxton is just trying to line up for a pardon. Question for you here, though, like what kind of Pandora's box would this open if they were to rule in favor of it? Would this not open up the box for blue states, say, to sue red states over voter suppression and things like that? Sure. And and, I mean, the example I gave is that California could come in and sue Tennessee and say in the Supreme Court and say, Tennessee, we don't like the way that you're. Um, managing your voter ID process, we think it's discriminatory. And as a result, it results in our voters not getting the president they want. Um, you know, that's an absurd theory. In California, it would be absurd to, pr- pr- you know, to promote it. But now the Tennessee Attorney General, if that were to happen, is going to be stuck with this amicus brief. And I forgot to say what that was. An amicus brief is just a brief to the court that says, hey, we support the other guy's lawsuit. Right, like hey, we believe it's it's worthy. It's just, of a, it's, it's just a way to light your integrity on fire. It's absolutely. <laughs> I've filed a lot. I've been on a number of amicus briefs to the Supreme Court, but generally they're about things. You know, former prosecutors supporting the end of you know life. Like legitimate things. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a purpose for these, right? It's to give right. the court the sense of you know a particular segment of either the population or of you know the judiciary or what have you. Um, that's not at all what is happening here. But I will say, let me let me give you an imaginary 
great outcome of this case, sure. which is it does present a direct opportunity for the Supreme Court to rule on this election in some way. Mm. I don't think there is any world in which there are five votes, let alone seven. There might be one to actually entertain this lawsuit. Yeah. I suspect you've got nine to zero that say this is crazy. And the, the folks at the Supreme Court, they're not, they're not dumb. You don't become a Supreme Court justice by being a flunky. And I think they probably recognize that what has happened in this post-election period is incredibly damaging to both sides, right? I mean, if you're a federal judge, you've sort of said, I'm not going to get involved in electoral politics. I've got my position for life. I care about these things that I identify with my party, whatever it may be. It's partisan for sure, but they tend to be a different sort of partisan. I think Brett Kavanaugh is probably the most partisan figure to ever serve on our modern Supreme Court in the past 40 years. But even he, I think, must look at this and go, they're crazy. So you're saying so, that, a chance that, that, you know, if yeah. Roberts, I think, has his ducks in a row, they could write a short and sweet, you know, denial of this case and say, we're not going to hear it. Here's mm -hmm. why. And you guys are all just, you need to sit down and shut up, right? So we have an elect, we have a process. I hear that. And, you know, I think on some level, it's true that because we were pushed to the brink and the system held and, you know, at the end of the day, Biden gets sworn in and, you know, we are still a democracy on some level that may make it stronger, but it also seems like we should at least pay lip service to, if not really internalize that if this had been closer, oh, this 100%. could have gone a much, much different way. And, and, and therefore things need to be done to shore things yeah. up, or we're going to be in a much different situation down I mean, the road. Just even, even last week, maybe earlier this week, they couldn't get enough members on the inaugural committee who you know, the senators, including Mitch McConnell to say that Biden was the president elect. Right. You know, it, it deadlocked three, three. You know, we don't have majority, we don't have close to majority of Republican senators who recognize the duly elected president elect. So mm -hmm. it's held so far. But, you know, I, I think until that day happens and there is an actual transition, you know, I don't think we could take anything for granted. And I do think that it does show that we are in a very dangerous place. In terms yes, of that's what I mean. Yeah. You know, and, we, the, the next 10 weeks may go okay. The next 10 years look really dark. And that's where it comes yeah. back to Tennessee, right? where Tennessee is just saying, sure, we are on board with this. There's not been a reasonable Republican voice in the state of Tennessee nope. standing up for electoral politics. Nope. And that's yeah. a shame. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just really lays the groundwork for a political you know, method in the future. Again, if the election was closer, if it's closer again in the future, and it shows that you, you know, these people are getting away with this politically. Sure. I mean, who knows what will right. happen long term? Hopefully, you know, Democrats and other Republicans will find a way to hold these people accountable for their behavior. But so far, there's no evidence of that happening. There's and none. so it's like a, it's a playbook for the future for it to be even worse. There's a fantastic article out today uh, on the Bulwark, which is sort of a you know, a web web publication by kind of four, uh, former Republicans, but they talk about how this is really the best example, and this lawsuit in particular is an example of the Republicans' real descent to authoritarianism. Mm. That all of these things they don't actually believe them to be true, but if you're a Republican politician or a policymaker, somebody in the Republican orbit, or even a Republican Party supporter, you now know it's not what actually what, what's in the world. The truths of the world don't matter. What matters is what the party leader says, right. right? If Trump had said, congratulations, Biden, you know, I'll beat you again in four years, we'd be in a very different place. Yeah. But because he said he won, now everyone has to fall in line. Right. And all this is, is the play acting around that. 
And I think that's the scary part. Like we have 47% of America that is willing to be authoritarian. Yeah, and I think we have okay. to remind them of that every day. I think that the way that, you know, like when our, you know, founding, you know, when our founding fathers like um, wrote the constitution, it really speaks to, you know, the, the fact that they didn't foresee just how powerful political parties could become. And the fact that like, you know, these, the legislative and the executive branch, obviously the judicial branches um, politicized as well, but just that like the legis, you know, GOP legislators that their political fortunes, and it's the same on the democratic side too, but political fortunes are tied to the, the president. Yeah. Washington, Washington actually did see it. And he wrote a whole thing about how partisanship would burn That's us down true. if we let it like they, but it's not they actually, in the system enough like it's not structurally sure. there to prevent it from happening sure well i guess that's a that that would lead me to another question for alex which would be what would you like to see done to help shore things up in the future is there anything that you've thought about that you'd like to see happen that yeah, could help protect us yes uh two democratic wins in georgia <laughs> well, that's a good start. Absolutely. But, but I think that's kind of the problem we face is we have a party and Mitch McConnell is really the face of it yeah. that has lost its way. And as Democrats, we can kind of just say, gosh, I hope you guys find your moral you know, bearings, <laughs> but I, I don't know that they're going to do that. And so in, you know, we talk a lot about how bad the information environment is. We talk a lot about, I mean, we're currently in the middle of a pandemic that is killing nearly 300,000 people. You know, a 9-11 every day. And we have a party that doesn't believe in math and, and science, right? And masks. They don't believe in the math of the deaths. They tell you until the moment they are passing, you know, out and dying in the ER that this is a hoax. Right. That is a cancer within that party that Democrats cannot solve. You know, you have friends who have a, a deadly illness. You can't cure it for them. We can sit there and we can pray by their side and we can hope they they cure it. I mean, I mean, right. Alex, you're you're preaching to the preachers here, but but I, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you know, when they get in there, then what what should they do? Well, I mean, I think structurally we have to have. I mean, one, the electoral college is dangerous. Yeah. In, yeah. in, in the current iteration, uh, Republicans are going to have a really hard time ever agreeing to change it because their only chance at power is as a, is as a minority power on the is a minority right. party on the national national right, state. But right. there has to be a movement towards a popular vote for president because of what he does. In fact, this lawsuit talks about the president being the only president and vice president being the only two federal offices that are actually decided about all the voters, right? Mm -hmm. And that's only true though through this sort of weird electoral college system. Making that direct has to be a goal. I think also think do you think that the state, like electoral, like you know how certain states have been signing on? I can't remember what the yeah. movement is called, but that movement, do you think that's the best route? for that to go as opposed to well, doing so, it on the federal I level. About, I was talking about that yesterday. The problem with that is how do you define popular vote and then how do you certify that vote, right? Because then you're going to get a dispute if any of those states are then controlled by a Republican legislature at the time. There's going to be a real question as to what the, who, you know, who certifies the popular vote, right? Mm -hmm. so unless you have some federal standards around that, I think it's going to be very hard to do. It's the easiest way to do it under the current constitutional system, but it sure. has a whole host of practical problems. The other thing we have to think about and talk about is really restructuring the Senate to reflect the will of the country. Yeah. And that means things like DC and Puerto Rico need to be states. And Absolutely. you can do that, President. If we control Congress, the Democrats control Congress and they control the White House, they can do both of those things. Yes. Um, you can do that with so, the so I think what you're, what you're, 
Yeah, I mean, what, what you're saying basically is Democrats need to play hardball and not get in there. They need to do what Republicans would do, which is what they've already well, done. Yeah, but it's not even hardball, right? I mean, it's I not hardball. I agree. It's it's the it's the right thing to do, and, and Republicans and have painted it like the radical thing to do. Yeah, you know, it's more democratic. There. Yeah, and we we've sat there and allowed sort of people with ha- that don't have good faith, right? They're not operating with good faith in what they're doing. And we're treating them as if they do. And they've been bad faith actors for at least the last decade and a half. And so the only way to sort of save our country from that is to actually take steps to change our country for the better. Right. Um, And so I think structural reform, actual federal voting, I mean, a new Voting Rights Act that changes all these things is really important. We should not have trouble voting. And that, that, that is the most amazing part of this whole thing to me is there were election security bills. Tennessee Republicans opposed them. And why did they oppose them? They opposed them because they didn't want other states, the federal government, telling us how to right. run our elections in Tennessee. And, and now, now here they are. Right. The, the attorney general is literally suing us. But, but Justin, it's only it only doesn't make sense if you actually took them at their word that that's what they cared about. It's they, true. They it's just anything. ideological. That's it's all self-preservation. It is. And, it's and, 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 and that's power. the way they have. It. And if a single Republican wants to come and debate any of the three of us, or really any reasonable Democrat, that's not the case. I'd love to see it. I would too. And we have to constantly invited on Republicans show. on oh, the holler. They never take us up on it. Michael <laughs> Rosen says he should be disbarred. What do you think should happen to Slatery? Because actually, it's not just Michael who said that. Uh, this is also City Council member Ginny Welsh said Tennessee Attorney General needs to resign. What do you think? You know, uh, he won't. He won't resign. And he is firmly in the midpoint of the Tennessee Republican Party. So there aren't going to be any consequences for him. I hope that it will change the way the Tennessee Supreme Court thinks about picking the attorney general. Uh, We have a very unusual system, one of only a handful of states that has a Supreme Court that is involved in the selection of our attorney general. Uh, And when his term is up, they get a chance to decide if they want somebody else. And I hope they will. Um, That's our best hope when it comes to, to Herb. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to give one shot at convincing you that you're wrong about all of this. There's somebody <laughs> that, uh, you know, you might just want to hear him out because this guy, he's got an opinion that's quite valuable. Attorney General, <laughs> District Attorney Craig Northcott over in Coffee County <laughs> says that uh, he thinks the approach has the ability to succeed because it's largely based upon constitutional and statutory violations. What does that mean? And, you know, again, I'm being facetious. Northcott is somebody that has openly called the Supreme Court people in dresses and says that he refuses to recognize marriage equality despite the ruling of the Supreme Court, which to me goes to show that district attorneys have way too much power. What do you think about Northcott in general? I think, well, he's got a whole history of doing crazy things. Uh, No, I think district attorneys actually should have that power. I mean, I think the fact that you know, per county, they elect them. And, you know, if the count, if Glenn Funk has done some things in, in Davidson County that are unique and that allows Davidson some semblance of, you know, self-regulation apart from the folks uh, at the General Assembly. So, you know, there's a reason the district attorneys have that power. I don't know that it's necessarily bad, uh, but he's, no, he's another one of, he's in a long line of folks who he's clearly, if you could get him to say a second sentence as to what that means, he would be <laughs> there, there, blankly. At. Right. Um, but, it's a shame. Well, it is a shame. It's, you know, completely. Oh, and, un- yeah, go ahead. Just one last thing. You know, today or yesterday, the Tennessee bar came out with their bar results. We have a whole new batch of lawyers in Tennessee. Right. And that got me thinking today about really what a shame all of this is. If you are a young Republican lawyer and you look at sort of who these folks are out there, you know, taking on the system 
from your side, the mm -hmm. Giuliani's of the world, the Jenna Ellis's of the world, the Sidney Powell's of the world. And then, you know, what establishing people like the AG sign on, I mean, that is a really ugly sort of environment to grow up as a lawyer. And yeah. so, you know, somebody who cares about the legal profession, it's just such a disgrace that this is what an entire political party has sort of adopted as their, you know, standard bearers. They obviously did that four years ago with Trump, but they've now done that in sort of every aspect of politics and the legal profession. It's just a shame. This yeah. is sort of a side. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Cassie. Oh, I was just going to reiterate about the Federalist Society from earlier. I mean, I think that that just really speaks to, obviously, that's been, that's a an ideological institution, but sure. it just... You know, going back to what you said about these, you know, young lawyers, it just it's becoming increasingly partisan and like these increasingly more blatant partisan actors. And in order to succeed at the profession, it's almost like it's showing you that you have to behave this way. Right. It what, goes back to that. This is all just sort of play acting to, to serve yeah. that autocratic purpose. What role should the Tennessee uh, Board of Professional Responsibility play in all of this? I know that there was just a controversy this week. One of the, I guess, like ethics supervisors, somebody who I think looked into Northcott's Islamophobia and bigotry himself was shown to have been perpetuating Islamophobia online. You know, if, if even the watchdogs are racist bigots, like what role are they supposed to play? And what does that say about the system in general? You know, I think that the BPR has a role for certain types of misconduct. And, and the BPR, for those who don't know it, it's actually underneath the Tennessee Supreme Court. So any discipline issue would ultimately have to go up and be ratified by the Tennessee Supreme Court. So any attempt to sort of, you know, attack the AG for ethical violation would ultimately go to the people who appointed him, um, which, you know, is kind of the system as it's constructed. But it is very hard for a bureaucratic institution like that to enforce these sorts of norms, that the rules really aren't meant to cover them. I mean, you know, we don't think ahead of time that the AG is going to sign on to a crazy lawsuit that would disenfranchise, you know, 100 million voters or something mm -hmm. like that. But, and so it's very difficult. You put yourself in their shoes, the, the folks who aren't tweeting racist things, and they're trying to do a job policing a profession. And that's really, really hard to do. You know, I think the pressure is public, right? You, you publicly condemn the AG, his office, and the, you make it yeah. very clear to the Supreme Court that we need somebody better. Okay. Well, I think yeah. people should pressure Slater EP. He should hear from us. Oh, 100%. He should hear, hear from the public about this awful decision that he has made, this embarrassment. And, you know, we, we have put up the number and the email for that. You guys should definitely reach out to him. Alex, really appreciate it. I know that yeah, you absolutely. were, you know, you were there when the, uh, the anti-bird protesters were having yeah. their moment also. And, you know, so you're fighting the good fight. And so we do appreciate it. Maybe you can come back on, talk to us another time about yeah, anytime. all this stuff, because it really helps to have your perspective. Yeah, for sure. Very much. Thanks guys. All right. Thanks, thanks Alex. Take care. That's Alex little TN on Twitter at Alex little TN. And, you know, it's, it's just a really ugly situation. Slatery is somebody that's supposed to be non-political. That's why it's an appointed, yeah. you know, office. And it pretty clearly shows everything's political. I mean, and that's what, at this that, point, it's a joke to like Supreme Court yeah. has been politicized. Everything's been politicized. Yeah. And that's why I think that because everybody has an ideology and it's in, it's in every, you know, even remotely political profession as well. Like it's just, it's in, it's there inherently, sure. which is why I think it's so important that we need to 
work on how to make our system as robust as possible to, to, to give more power back to the people, make right. the process as democratic and transparent as possible, get money out of politics and, and make sa as many safeguards as we can against like things that could, you know, potentially slip into authoritarianism because, you know, as you said, it's good that the system has held up so far, but also, as you said, if it had been closer, we would be in a different situation. And we really are in many different ways kind of hanging on by a thread, um, just the fact that it has gotten so close in so many different ways. Oh, speaking of hanging on by a thread, and I don't mean that in a joking way, although I kind of do, uh, David Bird is um, in the hospital and might need a ventilator, asks for prayers that God will breathe his healing spirit into his lungs. He has apologized on tape to one of three women who accuse him of sexually abusing them in high school and you know, now he has been airlifted to a Nashville hospital and is apparently not in a good way. So that's just something to be aware of. I'm not going to ask you to pray for him, but I just want people to understand that that happened. And on that note, this is something that just came up in New Hampshire. A doctor slash state representative is saying now that his, and he's a Republican, that his own caucus who refused to take precautions are responsible for the death of the New Hampshire Speaker of the House, the COVID-related death of the New Hampshire Speaker of the House. This is a very real thing that just happened. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. Tennessee Republicans are still not taking this seriously, even with one of their own mm -hmm. laid up in the hospital. And we just passed 3,000 deaths in one day here in this country. So please yeah. take this seriously. You know, it's just amazing how far gone this Republican Party is. And I think that is the thread through all of these things that we've talked about today from Janice Bowling to Slatery to David Byrd and the Republicans not taking this disease seriously to that guy, you know, Bucky Mc, McCulley in Chattanooga talking so poorly about Kamala Harris. These people are, are really far gone. And, you know, I would just appeal to the better angels of any sane Republicans out there to, you know, walk away, as they like to say about Democrats. And the only way that this is going to fix itself or these parties is going to be pulled back from the ledges if they start to lose some elections. And yeah. until that happens, they're going to be walking further and further out onto that ledge. We've seen now that just this this week, Newsmax beat Fox News in the ratings one night. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, so like this is oh, really, no. um, just, you know, it's just a sign of the times and it just shows how far gone they are. You know, I, I, I don't know what to say. And, and this is not something that happened overnight. This has been happening sure. to their party for a long, long time. So please, you know, do your part to, you know, walk towards the light. Oh, my goodness. As we are finishing up, we get a special guest here that we need to bring in. We, oh, you're, hey. you're still with us, we're going to have to bring in Senator Yarbrough here. Yes. For, those, for those who stuck around this long, you're getting a special treat. And uh, we're, we're going to get the senator's take on, on what's going on here. Senator Yarbrough, how are you, sir, first of all? I'm doing well, Justin. Cassie, how are, how are you all today? Hey, good to so see you. What is your message uh, about what we're seeing? We've, we've now just covered a lot of this with Alex Little. We've gone over what Attorney General Slatery is doing. What do you think about what's going on here? Well, I'm sure uh, I at least feel confident because – Alex is a competent lawyer that he could let everybody know that this is a frivolous lawsuit that's not in the interest of Tennessee and relatively destructive to the country. 
you know, I think the thing that re- that I, the only point that I, that I really want to make is I think this is a different thing than you know, sort of all the stuff that's annoyed us for the last few weeks of all the Republicans who are just not a- acknowledging reality, not admitting that Joe Biden won the election, not admitting that he's the president elect. That's sort of cowardly and ridiculous and pathetic. But this is a different beast altogether. This is the chief law enforcement officer of the state asking the highest court in the land to intervene, interfere, and overturn the results of a presidential election. And that is something that should never happen, has never happened in our state's history. And, you know, it's a real shift and something that's quite dangerous. Senator Yarbrough, what do you think the reaction would be by the Tennessee Republicans if after, say, Hillary Clinton or Obama even lost, all the blue states got together and sued the red states over the way that they suppressed the vote? Uh, They would lose their minds. And, you know, (laughs) and in fairness, they would be right in sort of objecting to that because it would be just as ridiculous as this. Don't you think there's something a little bit incongruous about the way they constantly complain about states' rights and say that other states need to leave them alone and keep the federal government out of their business, and now suddenly they feel it's within their rights to sue other states for how they conduct their elections? Well, and it's, you know, like there are conservative principles but it's clearer than ever that the sort of professional Republican Party has those principles are only there for convenience. And mm-hmm. so like if they are convenient to their goals, then like they'll stick to those principles. But if those principles are, you know, out of line with what they want to do, they will jettison them. And yeah. Do you think Governor Lee had a hand in this and also what role do you think he should be playing right now if he were actually doing the job he was sent to Nashville to do? Well, you know, I mean, I think who all was involved in this decision by General Slater is actually a really important uh, conversation. Mm. You know, I mean, so there was uh, some communication yesterday by the Secretary of State saying that he was involved in the consultation about whether this uh, lawsuit would be pursued. And you would assume that the the governor may have been, you know, consulted as well. Frankly, that this decision is something that should just be made by the attorney general and he should be acting, you know, in pursuit of what's good for Tennessee's people and Tennessee justice. But that's clearly not what happened because we already know that he's talking to other people. And I think the other question is whether, you know, how, whether they have been in, whether any of those people have been in touch with the Trump campaign or the Trump administration and are acting in concert with them? Yes, I think that is yeah, a very, very good question. And it's one that I hope somebody can get to the bottom of. I hope Tennessee media will ask yeah. that question. You know, it's, it's just so unpatriotic and so the opposite of, you know, everything that they preach that you would hope that, you know, this would get the treatment it deserves and that history will not, reflect kindly on it. Do you think a uh, uh, Slatery should end up in hot water here? Do you think there should be calls for his resignation or is Look, this how it goes in Tennessee? 
well, I, no, I think people very much need to look at how many resources were used, what process was uh, used to go into this and try to decide whether whether we think this was a proper use of the office or is mm -hmm. using sort of the color of law to do something that's pretty nefarious. And that is something that I think there's 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 plenty of time for everyone to to look into that. But yeah, this is not a little thing. And, yeah. you know, I mean, we've kind of gotten used to uh, a level of insanity around our politics, but this is really crossing a brand new, you know, limit that really there should, that sh needs to stay in place. I mean, I've heard from lawyers, you know, Republicans, Democrats, you know, independents who are disappointed in this and see this differently than they have sort of the prior litigation craziness that's come out of the attorney general's office, like challenging Obamacare. That's at least plausible in his, <laughs> you know, in his, I mean, it's bad judgment. I wouldn't do it, but it's not an abandonment of responsibility like sure. this. And so people need to keep focused on this, demand answers and demand some accountability. And so, Absolutely. you know, that's why, even though I'm not in my, like, I don't have my pretty bookcase behind me or, you know, decent light in this room where I'm working <laughs> today, but, uh, but I wanted to call in and encourage people to, uh, you know, keep up the fight on this one because I mean, this is a, this is a really, it was a really dark day in Tennessee history yesterday to mm -hmm. see that happen. And, you know, I don't, I try not to be hyperbolic about things like this because, um, uh, you know, I mean, I think there's too much yelling on all sides, but this really is sort of a beyond the pale moment that should trouble everybody. I think yeah. that's really, really well said. Just to tie it into what they should be thinking about and focusing on and something that I know that you talk about pretty often. First of all, we just mentioned that Representative Byrd is potentially going to be hooked up to a ventilator that was just posted on Facebook. I don't know if you saw that. And I then did. also in Nat New Hampshire, the Speaker of the House just died of COVID and yeah. Republicans are saying that it's because their own caucus is not taking it seriously. And we just crossed 3000 deaths here in this country. Uh, what's your general sense of how things are going when it comes to COVID and should we not be paying more attention to that? And also as a follow up to that, you know, do you think there will be a special session to do the things Democrats tried to do in June? So, yeah, the COVID response right now is one of the most depressing things that's happened. Um, it's we are I'm not sure what's happening in the governor's office. Um, if there if there was a strategy session seven months ago that where the goal was for uh, the state of Tennessee to be seeing 95 to 100 deaths in a day, 20 percent positivity rates and full hospitals in December, that would be the most immoral strategy ever. Um, otherwise the strategy hasn't worked. And so what I want to know is where are we changing course here? Or are we just kind of like wishing good luck to the doctors and people who are needlessly losing their lives with no help on the way? And it seems like the latter right now, which is maddening to me and should be to everyone. The special session you mentioned, I mean, so look, we definitely need to provide help for schools. The Democrats in our caucus, we proposed $150 million to go to schools in June so that they would have the resources to do what they needed to say uh -oh. what we've already seen. 
we probably do need to do something on education. I don't know why we have to have this gift wrap special session, which I think will be more of a, you know, sort of political tool than, uh, than anything else. I mean, if he's really the leader of his party and can keep his party focused on these issues at the beginning of session, we don't have to have a special session for it. We could just do that work and do the other important work we have to do too. Well, I think it's important for people to understand that you guys try to do these things in June. And yeah. if electing politicians is about electing leaders, you know, you guys tried to pass, I think it was $150 million in extra education funding. Another $100 million is out of the rainy day fund to take care of, of workers and people in the service industry and people like that. And, you know, calling for more testing. I mean, all the things that they're now talking about, you guys were talking about in June. So, you know, this is yeah. a, 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 an instance where people need to understand what they're not getting by electing people who yeah. will actually lead. Well, and that's right. And, while if you look outside anywhere in Tennessee, it is shocking to see just how bad things are, you know, from the health to the economy. To, but while it's shocking, there's nothing surprising about it. I mean, we're like we've been watching this slow motion train wreck in formation for mm -hmm. eight months. Mm -hmm. And like sort of, you know, I mean, we can all only implore and wave and, you know, sort of push the governor as much as we can and make alternative proposals. But um, there's been such a, a commitment to not taking this seriously, frankly, that it, we at least hoped would end after the election. Right. Right. And it is really time to put this nonsense aside and just start doing what's right for people. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that commitment has been really strong for him to not do anything. And he seems unwavering in it. And the only time that anybody really seems to waver on, on their side of the aisle is when their own people start to pressure them. You know, we saw it with Speaker Cassida, you know, it was really only when Republicans started to be embarrassed by that, that movement started to happen. So, but that starts with people making noise about it. So people need to yeah. call uh, Slatery about the lawsuit. People need to make sure that Governor Lee hears from them about what's not going on in Tennessee when it comes to COVID. And in the and meantime, they call yeah. their mayors, right? Like mm -hmm. the mayors across the state are, you know, they have been left holding the bag for a bunch of this and they need to hear from their constituents so that they can push that message up to the up to the governors and up to the legislators who have kind of enabled this, you know, consistent inaction. That's a good good idea. Reach out to your mayors, the county mayors especially. We had county mayor from Henry County on here, and he talked about how he would have liked to see a statewide mask mandate, and you know that it makes his job a lot harder that that didn't happen, and that he even reached out to Bill Lee, who he called a friend about it. And Billy did nothing. So the county yeah. mayors want a mask mandate. The White House called for a mask mandate. Democrats mm -hmm. are calling. Doctors are calling for a mask mandate. Everybody's asking for one. But I think on some level what happens here is they dig in so hard about yeah. all this stuff. Medicaid expansion, too, that like to, to now turn around and say, you know what? Maybe we should do that thing. Yeah. It would just show how negligent they've been this whole time. So I just don't have any real hope that it's going to happen. Right. But I mean, you know, like if you have children, you know that it's really hard to admit when you screwed up. Right. <laughs> but at a certain point, you just got to acknowledge reality and stop screwing up. Yeah. Because we're, we're letting 
you know, the you're the first decisions just let, you know, is unfortunate error that's led to, you know, loss of life and economic health. This is just pride, right? Like we're unwilling to acknowledge that we might have had, might should have had a better strategy from the it's, it's so true. That, that's it's insane. So true. And so it's thanks, absolutely guys. true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Senator Yarbrough, thanks for jumping on here. Appreciate it. Uh, we will, we will definitely encourage people to reach out to their mayors and to Lee and Slatery and uh, come back on here soon. Next time we have something to be upset about. All right. Did we lose oh, you? Thanks. Oh, take care. Take <laughs> care. Senator. Hollering. Y'all have a good day. Uh, oh, thank, you. thank you, sir. All right. That was a nice surprise. We thought maybe yeah. he was going to jump on here. He did jump on here. We're going to sign off here so we could take a break between now and tonight, night two of our TNDP yes. chair forum. Join us. There will be four new candidates you can hear from. And it went really well last night. Hopefully it'll go smoothly again tonight. And then in the beginning, I think of January, they're going to decide that. So mm -hmm. uh, we will post how to get in touch with Slatery and yeah. uh, and Lee. And hopefully you guys can can do some reaching out because they need to hear from everybody. Yeah. I mean, when, when people lead, politicians follow. So if you have enough people that are leading and, and really pressuring on this issue, you know, eventually they're going to have to budge. And I, I, I just think that, you know, especially with this stuff with the election, that we just really need to have a democratic renaissance in, in this country and push for as many democratic reforms as we can to put more power back in the hands of the people, because otherwise this stuff is going to keep happening. I completely agree. Uh, all right. We will see you guys tonight. Cassie. Always good to yes. talk to you. And uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays here at 2 p.m. The Holler Hour. We'll see you tonight, though. Bye-bye. Yeah.